we are Centerpoint Church. This is a recent recording from our Sunday morning gathering. We hope you can join us at the Odeon Cinema in Guildford, Sundays at 10am. Enjoy the message. Hi everyone. Sorry to interrupt conversation. Um, my name's Sam. Uh, if you... <laughs> If you've um, not met me before, um, all you need to know about me is I love Jesus, I love sport, uh, I work in government, so I work for the Department for Work and Pensions as a researcher, so I'm a bureaucrat for the government doing research, um, and yeah, I'm speaking today on David, the character David from the Bible. Um, if you haven't got a Bible with you today, uh, just stick your hand up and someone will come and give a Bible to you. Uh, it may be that you don't actually own a Bible. If that's you, you can keep this Bible as a gift from us to you. If you do own a Bible, either um, physical or digital, I'd encourage you to get it out now. Uh, and I'd also encourage you to keep it open as I speak, because we're going to be going in and out of the scriptures today, hopefully like a trampoline. So we're always going to be coming back to the scriptures. Um, I'm going to pray and then we'll, um, we'll crack on. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for today. Pray, Lord, that you would genuinely change our hearts by your spirit and by your word, and it would lead to action in our life. Amen. So, here's a question then to begin as we start. Are you all in? Are you all in? Are you all in for Christ? And I wonder how you feel when I ask that question. You know, for some of us, you'll be sitting there, you'll be buzzing, and you'll be like, yeah, I'm well up for it. I'm well up for Christ. For some of us, it'll be, yeah, I am in for Christ, but actually there are areas in my life where I want him to be more, more prevalent, more relevant. Or actually, there's areas in our lives where we're struggling, and we're wanting God to come in. For some of us, the answer may be, ah, oh, come on, Sam. I, yeah, I believe, but actually, all in? Come on. That's a bit extreme. I don't want to go that deep. And actually, some of us here today, you, you're actually thinking, Sam, I'm not actually sure if I even believe this. And if that's you today, if that's you here today, can I just say you're so welcome? And I really just want to encourage you to keep seeking, keep coming to Centerpoint. You are so welcome here. We want you to see the magnificence of Jesus. So please do keep coming. But actually, for those of us who are here today who are Christians, the encouragement from the Bible in the book of Romans, is in view of everything God has done for us, we should give our whole lives for him. Not just aspects, but our whole being. In view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. There's a great story I heard of a young lad who went to, I think it was a Baptist church in America, and uh, it was the time of offering, and the baskets were coming round, and he sees the baskets coming down the aisle, and he's watching it, he's watching it. These baskets are huge, by the way. Everything's bigger in America, isn't it? And he gets this basket, and it comes to him. He looks at the basket. He puts it down on the floor, and he steps into it. You know, I think it's just a wonderful picture, isn't it? That actually, in a small way, that lad understood what it meant to follow Christ. God doesn't require our money. Yes, it is good to give to him. Actually, he requires our entire lives. I think it's a wonderful story. And actually, as we come to look at the person of David, we see a person who's all in for God, whose every aspect of his character 
is geared towards the glory of God. Yes, he's a human. Yes, and as we'll come to later, he's a man. He's not God. And so he's sinful, deeply sinful and broken like you and me. But actually his heart's desire is for the Lord. And we're told that in the scriptures, that David's heart was for the Lord. You see, he's all in for God. And what I'm going to try and do today is pick out three ways that that is displayed in David's life. That as he says, yes, I'm all in for God, God shapes him in many ways, but I'm just going to choose three to speak on because we don't have all day. Um, But before I do, just a little bit of context about David. He was the youngest in his family. Uh, He was a shepherd boy. He was quite an attractive young lad. And he grew up in a time uh, of Israel's history, Israel being the nation uh, which God chose. And he grew up in a time where they had their first king, King Saul. And actually, quite interestingly, in Saul's tenure as being king of Israel, David is actually chosen to become the next king. And Saul knows that, and we'll come to what that leads to in a second. So that is kind of a little bit of context about David and his character before we begin. So the first point I'm wanting to make today is this. When we're all in for God, he shapes our praise. If you've got your Bibles, I encourage you to turn to 2 Samuel, the book 2 Samuel, chapter 6, uh, starting in verse 14. And before we read it, I just want to set a little bit of context here. This is a hugely significant moment in the history of Israel. David has just become king. He's become what he was promised to be. And David's greatest desire, one of his greatest desires in his life, we're told in Psalm 27, is to dwell in the house of the Lord, to be in the presence of the Lord. Now, throughout Israel's history in the Old Testament, the presence of the Lord primarily dwelt around something called the Ark of the Covenant. Now, this wasn't in Israel's capital at the time, and David was like, no, I'm going to get the Ark of the Covenant. I want the presence of the Lord to be in the centre of this nation because David recognised the significance of the presence of the Lord. And we join the story as the Ark enters Jerusalem. So 2 Samuel, chapter 6, starting verse 14. It will come up on the screen as well, but I encourage you, uh, as I said, to keep your Bibles open as well. So here we go. Wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might. While he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpets. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michal, daughter of Saul, who's his wife, watched from a window... And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. I might have to wait for that second. (laughs) Oh, is it? Oh, it's all right. Uh, I can keep reading from here. That's fine. Uh, 16, 17. So carrying on from verse 17, it will come up in a second. They brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. After he had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord Almighty. Then he gave a loaf of bread, a cake of dates and a cake of raisins to each person in the whole crowd of Israelites, both men and women. And all the people went to their homes. When David returned home to bless his household, Michal, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him 
and said, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, going around half naked in full view of the slave girls and his servants as any vulgar fellow would. David said to Michal, it was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. You see, we come to this significant moment in Israel's history and David just explodes in joy. He can't help himself, can he? Come with me back to verse 14 quickly. What does it say? It says, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might. At the end of verse 16 as well, as his wife's looking on, it tells us that David was leaping and dancing before the Lord. He can't help it. He just explodes in this physical act of We're told that it was almost like a whirring round and round, praising God. He can't help it. One of my greatest hobbies, and I maintain that it is a hobby, is that whenever I watch football, um, whenever a goal goes in, what I do now, and I've been doing this for about the past three years, is I watch the crowd whenever a goal goes in. So that's one of my hobbies. So I watch crowds when goals go in in football. And the reason I love it is because it's just bedlam. It's absolute bedlam in the stands. There's limbs flying everywhere. There's scarves. There's babies. There's beer. There's everything's going on. And I just see it as a wonderful picture of joy. You know, I wonder, do we long for and rejoice in the presence of the Lord? That's what David's doing. The presence of the Lord comes back. Get in. Praise God. Me and Emma were up at um, my parents' church in Tamworth. And um, at the end of the time of sung worship, at the end of the service, this old lady called Marie, who's about 60 years old, the song finishes. You know sometimes where songs... Oh, sorry. Where? Okay. (laughs) Oh, dear. Not old. Young. Young. In the prime of her life at 60. Um, Anyway, Marie's at the back. And you know sometimes when songs finish on a high note and and there's, there's clapping and there's like, yeah, get in. Marie at the back, it goes a little bit silent. Then she just goes, get in. She's like, get in. Praise God. And I just think that's a wonderful picture. And I wonder if that is what we're like in the presence of the Lord. Or maybe we're like Michal. You see, come with me uh, to verse 16 again and see her response to David. When she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. And then in verse 20, she starts off sarcastically and says, oh, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, going around half naked in full view of the slave girls of his servants, as any vulgar fellow would. You know, I think we've all been there. I think we've all been like David's wife, where we see someone giving everything to God in praise, maybe in the context of song worship, maybe in the context of serving, and we see someone giving everything to the Lord, and we think, ah, it's a bit too much. Ah, it's a, come on, tone it down. We're British. Let's just tone it down a bit. You know, we've all been there, haven't we? And I think it's a real danger. I think it's a real danger, particularly in the context of some worship, but I think in other instances as well. But also, I think one of the other dangers we have is we can be like Michal when we look at people who we think, ah, they're not engaged. They're not exploding in praise. They haven't... They don't look like they're engaged when they're praising God. We can do that as well. And notice the point of this passage, one of the points is, I think there's quite a few points, but actually one of the points is, our praise shouldn't be about anyone else. It's about us and God. 
Look down with me again, please, at verse 21. David says it twice when he's confronting his wife. He says, it was before the Lord. And then at the end of verse 21, I will celebrate before the Lord. It doesn't matter. No one else is there. I wonder when we praise the Lord, are we wondering about what other people are thinking about us? When we're serving the Lord, do we wonder what other people will think about us? Or are our eyes fixed on the Lord and that no one else matters? You see, when we are all in for God, he shapes our praise so that we're all in on him and no one else. When I... uh, was in my home church growing up in Sussex, there was a wonderful couple in the church called Ron and Ruth. They were polar opposites when it came to praising God. Ruth was up and down the aisles with flags and she was dancing away. And I wrongfully and awfully would look at that and be like Michal and think, no, what? What's that about? No, that's embarrassing. And then you see her husband called Ron and he was next to her. He was singing away, but he was quite still. Just singing singing the words. And again, it would be so easy for me to be like, nah, he's not engaged. He's not engaged. But you speak to them at the end of the service. You look in their eyes and they are shining bright for the gospel. All they want to do is talk about Jesus. They come to me at the end of the service and say, Sam, how are you doing in your faith? And they want to talk about Jesus. You see, we never know what goes on in people's hearts. And actually, the encouragement from this passage, as I say, there's multiple points within this passage about various things, but actually the one I'm focusing on here is, is our praise solely before the Lord? And maybe God's challenging you in this moment to think, okay, is it? And actually, how can that practically change? Well, just quickly, one practical piece of advice I was given in the context of praising God is to take a moment before praising God and recognise who we're singing to or who we're praising. There's a wonderful picture in Revelation 4 where the angelic beings are before the throne of God and they sing day and night, holy, holy, holy are you, Lord God Almighty, who was and is to come. Worthy are you to receive all glory, honour, power and praise. You know they sing that day and night. They were singing that as you woke up this morning. They're, They're singing it now and they'll be singing it when you get a coffee afterwards. I find it really helpful to think about that picture in heaven when I'm praising God and saying, Lord, it's just me and you. It's before the Lord. I will celebrate before the Lord. So are we all in for praise? Because when we're all in for God, he shapes our praise to be all in on him. So that's the first point I'm wanting to make. The second point is this. When we're all in for God... He shapes our character. You don't have to turn to the next passage. It will come up on the screen. Um, But actually, Chris touched on this a couple of weeks ago. Um, The story of how after David had been promised to become king, Saul was still king at that time, and Saul didn't like that. So Saul basically proceeds to try and kill David. And in the course of that time, there comes a very pivotal moment in 1 Samuel chapter 24, where... Saul's basically nearly hunted down David and he goes into a cave to relieve himself. And when he does, we join the story here at verse four. four. It says this, the men, so these are the people who are with David in the cave. The men said, this is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Then David crept up unnoticed 
and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Afterward, David was conscience-stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. With these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went his way. The story goes on, and I might touch on that in a second. But here we are. David is in a pressure situation where the world is screaming at him to relent on what he believes in. The world's saying, David, you can end all this running and you can become king. You see comfort screaming at him as well. Comfort saying, David, stop living a life of homelessness and live in a palace. That's the inevitable outcome if he takes Saul's life. Entitlement is screaming out at him, saying, David, you've been promised to become king. So surely you would take Saul's life. His friends, we see that very clearly, don't we? At the beginning, they say to him, this is it, David, this is the moment. Take your chance. But notice what he does. He says, no, I will not lay my hand on the Lord's anointed. Can you imagine the pressure he was under in that moment? And yet he chooses not to bend to what the world says or what his friends are saying. He says, no, I will stand by what the Lord says. And he chooses the Lord's way rather than the world's way. You know, we're faced with these moments all the time, actually, with it where we live. I think in our culture, Phil touched on this a couple of weeks ago, the persecution we're under is is subtle but still quite intense in that we're under constant pressure from our culture to relent on what we believe in. You believe that? You believe that about sexual morals or that about something else? No, come on, you don't believe that. No, you can't believe that. That's not right. We experience it when we're maybe at work or with friends and the conversation maybe turns into something like gossip and it's so tempting, isn't it, to engage within that and I engaging that far more than than I would want to and it's really tempting. But you see, when we're all in for God, he shapes our character to be very much like David, people of integrity who stand up and say, no, I'm not going to do that. And I find this just, I do find this remarkable and inspiring. The title of this broader series is Inspired. I do find this inspiring. I genuinely think this is a remarkable act of integrity from David. And I find it even more remarkable that David does this again two chapters later. He doesn't kill Saul and then Saul says, sorry, David, yeah, 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 I I won't do it anymore. And then Saul proceeds to then try and kill David again. And then David's confronted with a pretty much identical scenario two chapters later and again He says, no, I'm not going to harm the Lord's anointed. Do we want to follow God's way or are we going to relent and choose another way? Choose the world's way or our friend's ways? Now, you may be sitting there thinking, okay, but then ultimately, why does David choose this? What is it? What is it within David? And my, what I believe is that David knows God's character. He knows his word. We're told that throughout the Psalms, that he would be meditating God's word. He knows the character of God. And, and that's why. And so practically, I'm, practically in this part of the talk, what I'm trying to say is get to know your God. Know his character. Know his word. So that in those pressure moments, you will say no. I was very, very challenged and convicted recently 
uh, by my brother, actually, who was uh, in the process of uh, going for a job which he'd been desiring for a number of months and been praying about it. And it gets to the day of the interview and it's going extremely, extremely well. Uh, it's a youth worker role at a church. And just before the main part of the interview, uh, he was chatting with someone within the church and it became apparent that actually uh, they didn't believe uh, what they believed around a certain area of Christianity was unbiblical. And so easy in those moments to kind of brush that under the carpet and say, no, I'll just carry on. But he, he, he said to them, he said, no, I can't take this forward. And so he stopped and didn't proceed to carry on uh, with the job. Really challenging. Really challenged me. Am I someone of integrity who in the pressure moments of life where the world or other people or other instances are saying, relent, don't follow Christ, will we say, no, I am following Christ. I know his character, I know his word, and that's what I'm going to stand by. It would be easy at this point to think that, ah, David, what a boy. He always chooses the Lord's way. He was always a man of integrity. Well, if we know anything about David's story, we know that that wasn't the case. The most famous example, of course, is when David commits adultery with a woman called Bathsheba and then proceeds to kill um, her husband by arranging for his death in battle. And actually, what I think is really striking about David is that when he's all in for God, it also shapes our humility. So it doesn't, when we're all in for God, it doesn't then mean, oh, we're just never going to sin. We're always going to be people of integrity. No, it doesn't. But what it does mean is in the times where we mess up and in the times where we do sin, we'll come to God and say, Lord, I'm sorry. And we come in repentance and humility. And I love this psalm, Psalm 51. Look at what he says here. He says, wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. So this psalm was written shortly after he was rebuked by the prophet Nathan for saying, for telling David what he did was wrong. For I know my transgression and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. I'll just repeat what I said a moment ago. When we're all in for God, our character is shaped to one of humility so that in those times where we do sin and we do miss the mark, we don't run away, we don't deny it, we front up and say, Lord, yeah, I'm sorry. And we come in repentance to him and we come in humility. You see, when we're all in, we won't be perfect, but our character will be shaped to one of humility and repentance. And again, I ask, okay, so practically then, how, how can we help ourselves in these instances well, it's all about reminding ourselves of God's grace. The more we reflect and look on what Jesus has done on the cross for us and what he saved us from, do we then just inevitably come to him in repentance in those times when we mess up and just say, Lord, I just want to depend on your grace because I have to and I need to depend on your grace. God's grace is the most remarkable and the most scandalous thing which has ever happened in the world where he died for you and for me on the cross. And when he rose from the dead, that was the most significant day in history. Friends, if we look at that and reflect on that, that will radically transform how we live our lives as Christians.
You see, when we're all in for God, he shapes our character in times of integrity, where we stand up for what's right, but also in those moments where we don't get it right and we need to come to him in repentance. Thirdly, and uh, my final point is, when we're all in for God, he shapes our dependence on him. He shapes our dependence. And you see, the more we know who God is and what he's done for us, the more we realise that we need to depend on him in all things. And, you know, what I find remarkable about David is that he depends on God in times of strength and in times of where basically he's confronted with situations where his ability should excel. So there's a number of times when he's about to go into battle, David being probably the most accomplished warrior of the time, of the ladies apparently saying Saul kills his thousands, David kills his ten thousands, you think, oh, well, when a battle comes up, he'll just march on and say, yeah, I'm going for it. But notice, uh, we don't have time to go through all the passages, but actually there are a number of occasions when in times of strength, these are the verses for reference or areas of the scripture, where David inquires of the Lord. He goes to the Lord and says, Lord, what do you want me to do? He strengthens himself in the Lord. And this happens before he's king and after he's king. So there isn't a change in his attitude. And I think it's very... We often talk a lot in church context, and I will do in a second, about depending on God in times of need. And that is absolutely biblical and right. But actually, we should be depending on him actually in times of blessing. You know, do we depend on God when things are going well and in times of blessing? Or do we only really depend on him when we're struggling? You see, my encouragement to us all is that we would depend on God in the good seasons and also the bad. I remember reading recently, uh, not actually about David, but in the uh, book of Nehemiah. Um, and I just found this verse really challenging, but also really practical. So in the, in the moments, kind of um, in our day-to-day lives, we can give like what I like to call bullet prayers to God. So quick prayers where we just say, Lord, help me in this instance. I need your help. And Nehemiah does that at the very start of uh, the book of Nehemiah. He's before the king and he just goes, Lord, help me. I need your words. And then he proceeds to go on. You know, practically in our day, whether we're at home, whether we're with our friends, whether we're at work, there are, there are small transitions in our days, isn't there? When we wake up and then we've got breakfast and then we maybe go to work or we're on the school run or whatever. But there's lots of transitions between the day. My encouragement practically is actually within those transitions, have a little prayer. Just say, Lord, I want you to bless this next area. Lord, I need your help in this way. And so my encouragement is that we should be dependent on God in all seasons, in times of strength, but then also absolutely in times of weakness. We should be depending on God absolutely when it is hard. The Psalms speak regularly and consistently about crying out to God in despair. Sometimes we, we can come to God, or certainly I do, I can come to God and think, oh, I don't want to spill it all out because there's just so much within me. But actually the Psalms, and I put these two up, particularly Psalm 13. I'd really encourage you to read that as a Psalm. It's a wonderful example of 
being honest and open before God, laying it all out before him. Um, I'm, actually, I'm actually just going to read it. It's very short. Um, you can turn to it if you like, Psalm 13. You don't have to turn to it. If you wanted to just listen, that's fine. Um, this is David again. And he says, I just love this. He says, how long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death and my enemy will say, I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fail. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. I think that is a fantastic model of how to depend on God in times of need. Be honest. Tell him how you feel. Cry out to him. Absolutely. That is definitely biblical. There is a sense of not necessarily anger towards God, but certainly, yeah, there's that sense of frustration and wrestling with God. Absolutely. But then those last few verses, it just comes back to saying, but I will praise you because I know who you are, God. I know your character. I know deep down in the very depths of who I am that you are good and that you will not let me down and your promises do not fail me. I remember um, not so long ago, for about a couple of years, my now fiance, Emma, was uh, chronically ill for two years. And actually, in these times, and I'm not saying this to be prideful, because I didn't do this regularly, but in the moments I did do it, there were some of the most powerful experiences in my Christian walk. I remember coming back home after being with her and just laying it all out before the Lord and saying, Lord, why is this happening? Why, why is she so unwell? Why is there so much pain and heartache? And then I remember at that particular time, I was reading through the Psalms. And I was convicted and challenged by God in that moment to say, come on, let's praise. And I turned that grief and anguish into praise and say, but Lord, you are good. Lord, I praise you for the cross. I praise you for the resurrection because that's what matters. That's what really matters. And it was so powerful. And so my encouragement is use Psalm 13 as a model. Don't use my model. I'm... My words are nonsense. Use Psalm 13. Use the Lord's words. Lay it out. Be honest. But then, excuse me, turn it in to praise. You know, when we're all in for God, it shapes our dependence in times of blessing, when things are going well. And let's not skip over that. We should still be dependent on him on that in those times. But it also shapes us in times of struggle and hardship. So those are the three main points which I was seeking to make today. Which is, when we're all in for God, he shapes our praise, he shapes our character, and he shapes our dependence. And to finish, maybe some of you are sitting there thinking, yeah, I want to be all in for God. You know, either, maybe that you're thinking that for the first time, that you want to commit and say, yeah, I want to, as that lad did, I want to step in and say, here's my life, Lord, use it. Or maybe you're sitting there thinking, I want to recommit to do that in a sense and say, Lord, 
I want my whole life to be a living sacrifice for you. Maybe you're sitting there thinking that. Maybe you're thinking, yeah, I want my praise to be shaped by God. I want my character to be shaped by God. I want to be dependent on God in all things. Maybe that is what you're thinking as you sit here now. And then the inevitable question comes up, how? How does that happen? How do we cultivate that? And my encouragement here is, and I think we see this in David's life, but we're told this consistently throughout the New Testament, is it's not a case of trying harder. It's not a case of saying, I will praise God in a more praiseful manner, or I will, from this day forward, I will be, have more integrity, or I will be dependent on God. I think ultimately, the main way we are truly changed to wanting to be a living sacrifice, to want to be all in for God, is when we look to Jesus and we look to what he's done for us. Never, friends, never get tired of the gospel. It is the most remarkable message ever that I am completely and utterly riddled with sin. And the right punishment for that is death. But then God steps in and says, nope, I'm going to dial for you and take that punishment for you. And then I'm going to rise from the dead so you don't have to face death. I think it's remarkable. I think it's the most astonishing, scandalous news ever. And actually, praise God. And actually, as we reflect on that more and confront ourselves with the truth of the gospel consistently, then we can't help but praise God like David did. We can't help but whirl in the air. We can't help but however that looks for you, that might not be whirling in the air. As I said, it doesn't have to look like that. But we're convicted and we're compelled to live for Christ. And I think, I've, t- I've mentioned it a few times, but I think maybe really helpful uh, to read. Uh, you do not have to turn here, but if you want to, I would encourage it. Uh, Romans 12 verse 1, I will finish here says this, Romans 12, verse 1, kind of before this, Paul, the Apostle Paul, kind of lays out the entire gospel. And then it says this in Romans 12, verse 1, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, let's just stop there, therefore, in view of everything God's done, in view of the cross, resurrection, in view of the whole gospel, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. That's what it's about. So I pray that God has challenged and convicted some of us in ways today to think about our praise and our character and our dependence. But I thought it it would be unwise of me to kind of leave it there without saying actually the, the, the primary way that those elements of our lives are transformed is by knowing who God is and what he's done. That was the case for David. He knew God. He knew his character. He knew what God had done for him. And that transformed his life. And I pray that the same for all of us here today. Um, As a band come up, um, I'm just going to leave just a few moments of silence for us to individually pray to God, maybe about something which God has spoken to you today. So I'm going to leave a time of silence, and then I'll pray quickly, and then I'll hand over to the band. So I'm just going to leave a bit of silence for us to pray individually now.
Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. I pray, Lord, that as we leave here today, that you would genuinely change our hearts by your word and by your spirit. That it would lead to genuine change in our attitudes and in our actions. And Father, I pray that we would live lives which glorify you in praise. Lives which are dependent on you at all times. And Lord, that you may shape our character. And may we do all this in view of the wonderful truth of the gospel. Amen. Thanks for listening. Please do come and visit us Sundays, 10am at the Odeon Cinema in Guildford. We look forward to seeing you.